Hello everybody, welcome back. This is episode 17 of Indie Game Dev Report, a podcast where I interview indie game dev. I'm Rick Oakland, and today I've got an awesome interview with Tim Winsky of Twin Sky Games. Many people might recognize him from his game design work with Cartoon Network. We're going to dive very deeply into all that shortly in an extensive interview. But first, I'd like to very quickly show my appreciation for all the support that my work in progress, Retro Spaceball, has gotten. Thank you so much, everyone, for wishlisting on Steam, playing the demo on Itch. If you sent me testing notes, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Everyone is doing such a great job testing and finding bugs. Thank you so much. Please continue to support Retro Spaceball in all the best ways. I'm super proud of the humble community surrounding the game. You're all great, every single one of you. And we're a super inclusive bunch, so feel free to join us on Discord or social media. We're always glad to have new people, and we look forward to hearing about your journeys as a game dev. There's a link to the Discord server on the Retro Spaceball Steam page. As for my journey currently, things are going very smoothly with the development of Retro Spaceball, and a new demo beta build has been getting released at least monthly for quite some time now. So if you haven't checked out the project in a month, chances are that a new update is available. As it stands right now, I'm generally releasing about halfway through each month, which seems to work great for me, and each update is nice and large for the player. This lycanthropic cycle has crossed over into the podcast as well. So for the time being, I'm only able to get new episodes out monthly, which fits my schedule. I'd like to increase that eventually, but I can only do what I have time for. It feels right for right now, uh, but things will probably change later. Okay, enough boilerplate nonsense. Without further ado, let's hear from Tim Winsky of Twin Sky Games, talking about all kinds of interesting stuff, including how he went from working on early LCD screen mobile games on Nokia-style brick phones, all the way to being hired to work in VR for Cartoon Network. Hey everybody, I've got an awesome interview guest today. I've got Tim Winsky from Twin Sky Games. You want to introduce yourself, Tim? Hello, I'm that guy that Rick just said I am. <laughs> now you're an indie developer, um, but you've also done some, uh, some really cool contract work too, right? Yeah, yeah, I kind of lucked into some uh, cool connections through some like random like passion projects in the past. Wow. So now I, I've asked you because I know you in person before COVID and all that. Um, and, and you told me that your breakthrough project was uh, Indiana Stone, The Brave and the Boulder. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. So back then. Um, and what, what year was this about? uh what was that 2014 i believe okay wow so it was a while ago now maybe yeah i think that was i think that was the year maybe even 2013 but um yeah back in like probably like 2005 or so was the first time that i tried doing uh actual like um professional contract work for um a game company Sure. And back then it was for a mobile game, but that was before smart devices. So it was like, uh, um, you know, those brick, uh, phone games where you like use the buttons to play. Sure. I, remember and I, I was I was burnt so bad on that deal where like basically um, my employer kept stringing me along saying that my check was in the mail, check was in the mail. And then oh, I no. came to find out that he had never, never sent it because they uh, didn't have a lot of money. Wow. Uh, when I told him, like, oh, hey, well, uh, as soon as you pay me for the work that I've done, I will continue doing work on this project. 
and he just like blew up at me and was just like hey uh game development is supposed to be you know passion work and if you can't work a little bit without getting paid you'll never make it in this industry wow and that actually scared me away from game development for a long time that's sad so yeah i was uh after that i got into just kind of like typical like programming and like qa and like i was doing this i was working at a um is actually what brought me back to arizona was uh, a job at a litigation software company and i eventually ended up managing all of the install packages so they called me the install wizard wow but during all that time i still um you know did game development as a hobby um I really got into it again when game jams started becoming a thing. Cause even before that, I used to think it was fun to like, uh, try to do like a game in a day as just like a challenge to myself, like a rapid prototype type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So when game jams came along, I would like enter a few and I was much better prepared than other people. But I w- back then I was still using like to make games, uh, basically using like a, um, successor to click and play. If you know anything about that. Yeah, I've I've heard about it through just, you know, research and stuff, mostly through other podcasts actually. But yeah, oh, click and funny. play was a thing, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, click and play is as stupid as it was. Uh like back when it came out in like the late mid to late nineties when it originally came out, and it was basically the Mario Maker of like game development. But um yeah, it was a little bit after that that I started moonlighting and I was like, you know what, I wanna be a uh an official indie developer and you know i was playing a lot of spelunky so i had it in my head that to be an indie developer meant that you had to make a game about indiana jones or somebody similar (laughs) to that that's hilarious so that's why i made indiana stone the brave and the boulder you know and that could have helped your marketing a little bit because everyone was kind of already thinking that kind of in in the same headspace i think because spelunky and and that type of stuff. And also Indiana Jones was kind of popular at the time too, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was when they made uh, the fourth movie, which nobody... Uh, well, doesn't doesn't technically exist. <laughs> Not really canon. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the Crystal Skulls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was fun making that game because uh, when I released that, that was when like everybody was starting to make uh, Infinite Runners. on um, mobile devices so i was like well what if you're the thing chasing after the guy which is a great like like stance switch you know i like that uh i uh you could call it a role reversal role reversal that's a better word for it absolutely (laughs) yeah so um as far as uh indiana stone goes now the way you, you described it to me was that um there was someone on a plane going to GDC that that found it and tweeted about it. No, is that is that? Uh, he accurate? didn't tweet about it. Not quite. It was basically, um, yeah. His name his name is uh, Ryan Harwell, and he's like um, a guy at Cartoon Network whose job was to like connect people from different companies together. Uh, oh, I wow. forget what the actual title of that position is. It's something that people no. don't. You, mm, <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's it's parallel to that. It's almost like an in-house headhunter in a way. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, it's the kind of person who will be like, "Oh, 
right over here, they need help with this. Okay, I'm going to run and find like a contractor for that. So he oh. did a lot of like, um, like hooking up um, like game development. Uh, That's awesome. Within Cartoon Network. And, and back then, you know, it was a lot of Flash games still and stuff like that. For oh, their sure. Web, for their website, but they were just starting to get into mobile games. He played this, he shared it around the office a bit. And like even the, uh, the COO of Cartoon Network was like apparently playing it and really having a blast. Wow. Okay. And that kind of segues into present day almost because just recently you've done work with Cartoon Network. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, it was very, very fortunate to me. Back, back then, you could just release something that was kind of polished on mobile and get uh, noticed for it. I don't think that's true anymore today. It was funny because I, I released it right before GDC. I happened to be going to GDC. He happened oh, to be wow. going to GDC. So he sent me an email, and we actually like met up like uh, the next day or two days later. I think I missed that part of the story last time. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we started talking about uh, like different projects that I could possibly do for them. And fast forward like a month or so, and I pitched a uh, Adventure Time game to them with like a little proof of concept, like visual style. And uh, yeah, that got that got greenlit, and that got turned into Time Tangle. That's right. Awesome. Which both of these mobile games you can't play anymore because <laughs> it just takes so so much time and effort to like maintain uh, mobile games so that they'll still work on like uh, future OSs. Wow. And that involves like migrating it to newer version of Unity, which can like uh, break the physics, can break all text in the game. It can just break like so much in-game logic that like uh, unfortunately. Uh, it was never viable to upkeep either Indiana Stone or Time Tangle. Yeah. So you can't even play these games anymore, which is kind of frustrating. That is a little frustrating. And, and you know, I, I've, I've talked to people about Time Tangle. I've, I haven't played it myself, but I've talked to other people who did play it, and they liked it. So it's, it is a little disappointing that it's... Yeah, it was well-received. It was also one of those, like, last, like, mobile games that was, like, pay it pay for it and play it. I guess I guess there's some indie games that are still like that and I guess there's like the Apple Arcade but like 99.9% of mobile games now are all like especially like like IP games. Mm-hmm. You know, uh that that are released by big um big companies. I, I know that since then Cartoon Network's released a bunch more Adventure Time and they're all freemium kind of pay money for the gems kind of games. Sure, sure. I mean, I know we're we're kind of skipping ahead here, um, jumping around the timeline here. But this this recent project uh, from 2019, I think you released it, uh, Cartoon Network VR. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, brought back in. Um, this was a fun project because they actually brought me into like, yeah, yeah. Ryan, the same guy that um, uh, contacted me about making a game for them. Um, as soon as VR started picking up, he was just super obsessed with it he was like the number one evangelist for vr games right on so he actually talked uh management and cartoon network to like uh open up a little in-house studio he had these really cool uh dreams for it unfortunately they didn't they didn't pay out and and covid is ultimately the reason why Uh, but um but yeah the idea was to have a on-site um in in burbank california um right outside of la um to have like a little a little studio where every month uh he would bring in a group of creatives to kind of 
um, like rapid prototype of VR concepts. That's so cool. Then um, use uh, other companies to um, like expand that concept into like a longer, like thirty minute or so experience. Sure. And then take the ones that are the best received, and then like turn those into like fully fledged VR experiences. In theory, it sounds like it would be a good good process for a company with a lot of money. Right. Yeah, so as kind of a test, they released uh, Cartoon Network Journeys, uh, which you can play on Steam. It's it's free. Um, that, that was meant to be like the volume one of like kind of getting their feet wet on this whole process. Uh-huh. And yeah, the, the game, the, uh, I, I, he, he just like teamed me up with a group of like amazingly talented people, some who have been showrunners for Cartoon Network cartoons, uh, a really hilarious uh, voice actor. Um, and, uh, yeah, somebody who like, yeah, I just, I just met some very cool people. Somebody who used to work, uh, at Cartoon Network, got super burnt out, became a hermit for a while, worked for Facebook for a while, became super burnt out again, became a hermit again, but then he got pulled in for this VR project. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's awesome to, to network with, you know, people who know the industry and stuff, been around. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so we made really cool. we made this game uh, called Jest to Impress, which was the concept is you're a jester trying to impress the king. Uh, if you don't do a good enough job, then he'll uh, you know pull the lever and feed you to the dragon. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so what ways do you impress the uh, the king? Uh, like all these weird props appear in front of you, and it's almost a puzzle game. Like you have to figure out how to use the prop to make everybody laugh. That's interesting. So does that use the Cartoon Network IP and stuff like that? No, that's actually, uh, Journeys doesn't use any IP. Uh, it's all like these weird creative um, interesting concepts. Yeah, that like uh, the process was the, um, like when he, when he brought everybody in on site, uh, you know, we just did a few days of like, like having fun, getting to know each other. We did like an escape room together. And then- That does sound think, fun. Yeah, I think it was just on like the third day that we would all like come up with and pitch ideas to each other. Wow. That sounds like quite quite a team experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was very unique for sure. And uh yeah, it was it was a uh yeah, I don't know, it might have been like a once in a lifetime kind of experience for me cuz um all of that um it was always a struggle to figure out how to kind of turn a profit into this whole like VR development within Cartoon Network. Sure. Um, in a way, he was just kind of experimenting and using the budget of a big um, big studio, um, but like putting it towards almost like indie style development. I mean, like yeah. I was the sole developer for Just to Impress. Everybody else was making uh, art assets. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is, is what kind of stuff you did. But if you did all of it, wow, I mean, that's yeah, impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm used to for any development. It's just all the design and all the code. That's so cool. And and while you were working in with Cartoon Network in this once-in-a-lifetime well, once opportunity, you, were, you had another project that you were also itching to uh, work on, but you had to wait until, um, you know, things were... A little bit further along with the other project, right? So, what what's this? Um, your newest project? What's the project you're working on now called? Oh yeah, I've always had a bunch of games in the back burner, but this, uh, yeah, the one that I'm putting my full time effort into now is uh, a uh, 
It's a it's a shoot 'em up kind of quirky cartoony game. It's called Does Space it Ruckus. Oh, Space Ruckus. Okay, awesome. And now I I did play this one uh, again. You know, pre pre COVID, you know, just before COVID, and um, I'd love to play it again. I'm sure it's been through a lot since then because that was a while ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, could you describe the game a little bit? I know it's kind of like it's cylindrical, right? Yeah, that's right. It has um, like a cylindrical play field just because I think it's, I don't know. Um, I like, oh, I love that. Yeah, I like a lot of uh, kind of the old horizontal wrapping uh, shoot 'em ups like Fantasy Zone uh, or even like something like Defender. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of cool like uh, design space. Um, it, it leaves you to you explore. don't have to backtrack, yeah, right. And because you can't see it, you don't know what's going on over there. So your your brain's constantly like, well, maybe something over there is worth checking. Well, out. Well, no, that's that's what's great about it is that when it's three D and cylindrical, you can see what's happening on the other side of the ah, okay. stage. So it's a little it, bit like, like Defender's map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. When it's um, brought into a three D cylindrical space, it uh, removes the need for some kind of mini map because that's that's sort of a pet peeve. Uh, design flaw of mine is when um, man, you actually see this in a lot of Vanillawares games where you'll have like these gorgeous backgrounds but then there's like this little mini map in the corner that like shows you like important um, information like what what direction uh, enemy attacks are coming from or like where the enemy that you're trying to track down is uh, relative to you so you have to take your eyes off of like the gorgeous elements and look at this like stupid looking like primitive little grid with dots on it and yeah. and you're spending more time looking at these like little little uh blinking dots than you are at the like hand-drawn assets and animation word well that's that's a really cool way to uh accomplish like a few goals at once there because it's a it's a cool feature it looks cool and uh you know you're accomplishing the map thing it's it's just all around a good idea it seems like yeah it's definitely been uh a challenge um finding the core design hook uh the last time you played it it had a um heavy emphasis on uh abducting um, people from various planets and like trying to piece out as soon as possible and i was trying to turn it into like this uh it was kind of designed around getting positive feedback at small events like um you know like our igda showcase events sure and if, if people would play it and be like oh wow that looks really cool or like you know very gifable moments yeah yeah then it's like, all right, now uh, I'm I'm onto something. I'm making something cool. But yeah, what what I learned is that if you uh, design a game just around cool moments, it's like every time you see the same cool moment, it becomes a little bit less cool. And if it doesn't have enough like uh, extra substance to like carry it into a multi-hour exp- uh, you know gaming experience, uh, yeah, you're gonna have that's problems. a great point. That's that's a really good um, uh, insight. Absolutely. I think a lot of people can uh, hear that and let it register and hopefully work that into their design. Because, um, yeah, you know, it's it's like a, uh, it's a reward, a spectacle reward, they call it, in the uh, art of game design. Um, yeah, or juiciness, as they <laughs> yeah. uh, more informally call it in a lot of talks. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it just... It doesn't, um, like you said, every time you see it, it it just dissolves a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, it's well, what's funny, and I, I don't think I've mentioned this before, is that uh, Space Ruckus is a pseudo sequel to a uh, game that I made back in 2003 in Click and Play. It was something that I made right after I graduated from college. Um, I don't know anything about this. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, it's, it's a game called Mysterious Floating Something. So, uh, in all my research, up. I didn't find that at all. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's just sort of a, a UFO game, abduct people. It's sort of a product of its time. It ha- it's, um, has sort of like old school flash game sensibilities where you're just kind of like playing something, getting currency, buying extra power-ups, playing uh, levels that are similar to previous levels with just a little bit more uh, like harder enemies or whatever. Sure, sure. But yeah, I remember when I made that game, it was always well-received. It's just, you know, to, to bring it up to modern sensibilities to make it something worth playing. <laughs> so uh, click and play, that was all 2D, right? Yeah, that's right. So everything you were doing was all sprite art before? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would technically be called uh, sprite art. Uh, within um, that tool, you could just... Um, it was kind of like an all-in-one kind of thing. Like you could just, oh, like create a new object. Oh, now double-click that object. Now it like has like this list of animation frames, and you can just like click on one and just start drawing it right there in Engine. So you you click and then you play. That's right. Summarize. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, it's too too bad uh, we can't advertise for them. I don't think they're. I think no, they are. Of, they, uh, oh, are they yeah, still a thing? Yeah, I think it's still called multimedia. Fusion now, which oh. confuses people because they think of macromedia. Yeah, I remember macromedia. <laughs> yeah, um, the, but yet no, I, the Flash. they're they're actually uh, so a, a couple of fairly recent games that are super famous that have been made in it. The first Five Nights at Freddy's was made in um, you know in the click and play software. Oh wow, I didn't. So know is that. so is Baba is you? Really, really, yeah. wow. Well, I, that blows my mind. I'm glad you had that tidbit. That's awesome. Yeah, everything else is made in Unity, but those two games. <laughs> <laughs> so um, back on, um, I have trouble with the name, something ruckus, right? Space, space ruckus? ruckus. Space Ruckus. I knew it was something ruckus. <laughs> Can't be spacing out on me like it's, this. It's new to me, so I'm gonna. it's going to take a minute to register. <laughs> uh, so with Space Ruckus, it's all 3D. Uh, now, are you doing the models yourself, or is this something that you're you're well, uh, working actually, with others on? Well, sure. Um, yeah, or it's not I, all 3D. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, it's we're, we're still actually finalizing the final um, uh, like art style. So I can, I can't. Um, okay, say anything it's still early in the process. Yeah. Um, so I can't I can't say 100 percent sure what it'll look like, but we're we're leaning in a heavy direction right now. But actually, it's um, does it still look like what I saw at all? Uh, not really. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, it was it was fairly polished, so I, I that's figured that's true. That's true. We place. did we did have to get rid of all of those assets because, um, yeah, just the dimensions of everything were were all off. We we huh. had to bring the uh, field of view way in. Uh, yeah, we we had a um wow a wide field of view which around a cylindrical um play area. Uh, becomes a problem around the edges because things kind of warp warp around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it makes it difficult to like uh, gauge. You know, in a bullet hell kind of game, it, uh, makes it difficult to gauge the trajectory of like um, 
hazards uh, and such. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so that and included with like a heavier um, focus on like level design instead of having like these big open um, uh, play fields. Sure. Um, now we have like platforms and stuff that you kind of like weave around. Oh, okay. um, so uh, yeah, that that um, leads I to like a lot. that idea. Yeah, I, I a lot think of that's different cool. uh, requirements. Yeah, yeah, so and it, it helps us make like each level feel very distinct. Where when it's just like a big arena, that that was one of the problems we ran into before. Is like, okay, how do, how do we even make each level feel different enough? Sure. Yeah, in the in the early prototype, it almost seemed like it was wave based, um, and that of course a lot of prototypes are when the finished game isn't. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be more level based, where things um, gradually get more difficult and more interesting as you go through. I take it. Though. Yeah, yeah that's course. cool. Um, yeah, you know, I love shooters. So I mean, and there's, I don't think there's enough cylindrical shooters. I'm sure you've probably done more research than I have at this point. Um, yeah, I was looking them up to kind of check it out. Uh, of course, uh, Resogun on PlayStation was a very popular one. That's House the one Man. I know. Yeah, PS4, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But even yeah. that game, like as well as it did back then, its design is a bit dated by today's standards. I don't know that it could come out on, uh, well, on name alone, if it were ported to Steam, I bet it would do pretty well. But, um, but if, if uh, a new game were... Um, no, I agree. Yeah, it's just... That place has been taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that game <Yeah>. is out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a high score chaser. Uh, each level is pretty uh, indistinct. Uh, but the mechanics and that stuff, I mean, a yeah, lot of that is up for grabs. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, yeah, there's another game um, that has more of a roguelite structure. Uh, that's a cylindrical game called Orbital Bullet. Which, mm, I don't uh, know that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's more of a platform game. It has some neat ideas for sure. It's in it's in early access, so it's hard to say. Uh, uh, well, that's awesome that you've got other things to look at during the development, so that way you can you know see what they're doing wrong or it what saves you could a little bit of prototyping time. Yeah, like oh, I had that idea, and now I can see like it doesn't really work out, or like um, that's mostly what it's been. Yeah, it can be really difficult if you don't have that. If if you're just like doing something completely new and no one it's like yeah but uh yeah hard from a marketing <laughs> standpoint too because it's like hey look at this thing that's not like other games that you know and love don't you right. want to buy it yeah <laughs> it's gotta be I'm just, something i'm just amazed at like ever since the popularity of hades well, i guess hades wasn't even the first one like this but just how many games are like that like a uh you know, a top-down, zoomed-out view where you're, like... Action RPG, um, hack-and-slash type thing. Action RPG, hack-and-slash. You got, like, your melee. You got your long-range attacks. You got your um, either a, uh, a dive roll or some kind of dash that makes you phase through projectiles. Now, that actually brings to mind a question that I didn't, ha- I didn't plan on asking. Uh, now, I saw recently somewhere that... I think it was on Discord that you were playing uh, CrossCode. Now, isn't that one of those oh, yeah. games? Uh, that's true. Yeah, and it, it looks great. <laughs> and I was, oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. wish no, because I'm it not, looks awesome. <laughs> I'm not throwing shade at these games. I just think it's a very interesting phenomenon that there's like no, that I there's agree. So many of them. Honestly, uh, I, I'm not a fan. There's of something Hades. really. Uh, there, there's right. something about the formula that really works for sure. Or, or Hades, right? I keep calling it Hades, yeah. but in the game, it's Hades, right? Or what, am I wrong? I, I I get them confused. Hades or Hades? They're both. Oh the same. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Hades. 
Okay, yeah. So in Hades, I got upset because I, I was like, I, well, I got to beat the game, you know? And then you get you get to the end. No, Sorry to spoil it, but you got to beat it again. Give it again. Beat it again. They just want you to keep beating the game. It's like, come on, wasting my time, you know? I know. But that's like just ghosts me. and goblins all over again. <laughs> it is funny how back then it was like, oh, beat the game to get the good ending. You got to beat it again. Everybody complained. But these days... It's a little bit more acceptable since, like, oh, but now your loadout's going to be different, and now you can add difficulty modifiers. Yeah, it's the Zelda second quest all over again. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, I I think that those games are cool. So it's it's a little bit, it's cool to see them, you know, jumping into the the you know trends and stuff like that, but. At the same time, like I'd like to make one of those games too, and if it's completely oversaturated, I won't be able to. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of uh, to that point. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, a new game just came out in the exact same space called uh, Dreamscapers. Uh, I've been enjoying that one. It's another overhead roguelite with melee, long range, dodge roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good combination. It just it has a very unique aesthetic. It has like that one like uh unique like strategy on how to build like an OP um uh like of items and weapons. I think I think that's what kind of makes or breaks these games is like when you're playing through the roguelite, like what kind of decisions are you making? Are they interesting decisions? Is it like one dimensional, like, oh well, obviously I'll take this thing because it's better. Or is it like, are there, are there interesting synergies that you're trying to work towards? Yeah, that's what I like, is the synergies. Yeah, of course. I think that's uh, kind of a must in these kind of games now. I think all the um, the super basic. You, you can even see that in like, I don't know if you, how much you know about Enter the Gungeon. I haven't played it, but I've heard about it. Which, of course, was uh, you know directly influenced by nu- Nuclear Throne. I've definitely um, played that one. But yeah, uh, Enter the Gungeon was in development for like an additional four years after it released. It wasn't even like an early access thing. It was just like, hey, every year we're going to do a major uh, update that brings like extra bosses or an extra area and just like a goat load of new weapons and such. And a a bunch of new players, hopefully, right? (laughs) Um, Sure. And yeah, you can see throughout their uh, evolution how like they started leaning much more heavy on like... um, various synergies where at first it was just kind of like oh are you lucky did you find these cool items that just straight up make you stronger yeah now now we're on this uh roguelite tangent is that something that's going on in space ruckus yes that's true very cool very cool so what kind of things are we um manipulating within space ruckus so far so one of the main um unique elements that i have on something that's called the power grid so you play as a character named ufo uh spelled y-o-o-f-o-h ufo (laughs) i love it um who's kind of this like anthropomorphic you know ufo right on (laughs) and you install these various modules it like zooms into kind of his like electronic guts and you're like uh you find these modules of like shapes kind of like tetra shapes and such and you try to I love it. fit it inside of a power grid, inside of his circuit board. And uh, yeah, I've been um, the last couple of months. That sounds really cool. Yeah, last couple of months, one of my main focuses was like 
how how do I expand that system and turn it into something that like leads to like interesting synergies and like you can find these like batteries that can like power up adjacent modules of various types. So the idea is to make it like kind of an interesting uh, puzzle where your, your brain is like racking on like the best way to make uh, have the most interesting power growth during a run, but not to sacrifice the action. Not something that like oh I just got this new item now it's just like totally undoes everything that i set in place and now right. i have to like spend half an hour reorganizing things that that was a problem that an earlier iteration had but i've uh i've fortunately found solutions to that that's awesome it, it's been it's been fun to design yeah it's um i'd say both that and um and kind of the level progression the way that it works as a whole are uh kind of the two most unique things about this particular game. That's that's really cool. So as as far as the the perks and stuff, are, are we talking like different types of bullets or different uh, firing rate or or um, yeah, so there's, there's modules modules of different categories. So some of them will give you um, like these special attacks that you can do with a unique button. Uh, some will give you the passive abilities, of course. And for the um, typical weapons, I actually have like a built-in synergy system um, where, like, uh, if you um, if you equip like a like a boomerang weapon, then you shoot it, and like you know, there are these unique-looking like boomerang-looking bullets that will shoot out and return uh, back at you and move in kind of an arc, like Quick Man. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> um, but then it's like you can also get like the flamethrower. The flamethrower by itself would just shoot like a um, close range uh, fire out of your ship. But if you equip both the flamethrower and the boomerang, then it shoots you know the boomerang uh, weapons that are then on fire and can catch enemies on fire. And, Very cool. Uh, it's designed with like interesting synergies uh, in mind. So like for example, um, there's a there's a piercing weapon. And getting the uh, the boomerang combined with piercing is kind of one of the uh, ideal synergies because then you can hit the same en- enemy twice with the same bullet. Ah, yeah, that would be good. That sounds really cool. I'm, I can't wait to test this. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been chugging along. So, um, as far as testing goes, are you just doing it internally with like a few close friends then, or obviously we can't do much. Uh, like group testing these days. Yeah, that's true. And um, group testing, I think, is the most uh, is the most ideal in person, so that you can kind of just like see people's initial reactions. Oh yeah, for sure. It can be hard. I have a couple of uh, friends who I just we we share each other's projects with us uh, with, with each other and ask for feedback and such. Um. It can be it can be tricky though because um, oftentimes to share a project with another developer, the kind of feedback you get is like, "Oh, well, if I were making this game, here's what I would do," and that's yeah. not like really like well. It's definitely pretty far from player feedback. Yeah, and uh, but even player feedback, like oftentimes, um, players or like beginner designers have a hard time articulating the um, like the core of an issue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They just know there's something wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. So it can, it can be helpful for sure, but it can also be difficult to diagnose. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the job of the game designer. We, we we're getting better all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah, I do love the <clears throat> just the game design lexicon. Um, seems to be improving a lot. Uh, it's just over the last five years or so, just the overall expected quality for an indie game has just shot through the roof. It's crazy. It really is. But you know, five, ten years ago I was I was not where I am today. So Yeah. It's just kinda how it goes, I guess. There's a lot of very, very good resources out there and tools to make games have never been better. I will say that Unity is more capable than click and play. There. Hot day. <laughs> we'll have to talk to uh the folks with uh Baba is you on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, you you started back in 2010. I read somewhere. Does that sound about accurate? Like Unity, I guess is what, what I was reading. Oh, uh, maybe I started learning Unity around then. Probably, yeah, probably around then. It was actually David Coons who originally taught or talked me into how important it was to learn Unity. Um, I don't, I don't know who that is. Is He's that the other uh, co-chair? Oh, uh, Phoenix actually. Oh, okay. You you did study at UAT though, the University of Advancing Technology, is that correct? Um yes, but that was like way back in two thousand and two. Wow, wow. So there was a bit of a, a time period be- between exiting school and, and starting games then. Well, like I said, I had always did um games kind of as a hobby. Um see. like some of the other things I did, uh I dabbled a little bit into kind of the casual game space for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with a group called uh, Riverman Media, and we made like a mobile game called uh, <laughs> Cash Cow. Well, it is Cash Cow, yes. Um, I did some research. <laughs> we were thinking like, ah, oh, there's there's so many like match three games out there. Let's let's just do it. Let's just make a match three game. We'll make it about like combining money. This will be our Cash Cow. That's it. Let's, <laughs> just, let's just call it Cash Cow. And That's funny. What's funny is that like um, it is a very different game compared to other match three games because you're combining coins into like the next largest uh, um, denomination until you like com- can combine four quarters and make a dollar. Oh wow! Um, and what's cool is that it was actually picked up by uh, I forget what, what company um, pushed this forward, but it ended up being distributed to schools to like help. Uh, teach kids like how to count rap- money yeah rapidly counting money yeah that's actually really cool because like you know i've uh i've done a lot of jobs where it's like food and stuff and you end up with people on the register who don't don't know how to count yeah money. <laughs> and that's that's one thing really funny about uh i mean these days who goes around with uh pockets and hands full of coins <laughs> i can't even remember the last time that i like which uh, makes it really hard to count money i guess <laughs> but um but back then back in like whatever 2008 or so probably is when we released that um i remember that uh after playtesting the game a bunch i could i could take out a handful of coins and just almost immediately know how much money was in my hand <laughs> that's interesting that's that's pretty good so, and then I also read somewhere that in 2017, you worked on a game called Scoops and Birds for the <laughs> Nintendo DS? The 3DS, yeah. Scoop and the 3DS, okay. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, Scoop and Bird, okay. I'll say that game was a bit of a misstep. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, the idea was after making uh, Time Tangle, 
I was like, you know, a lot of indie developers fall into this trap. They release something that's a big success, and then they're like, ah, I need to one-up myself. I need to make something even better. And then they get super burnt out. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to take a step back, take a refresher, make something simple, but polished. And uh, yeah, the problem is that it, it didn't have a super strong hook. Uh, and I just ended up just wasting way too much time, like um, kind of trying to polish something that didn't have. Uh, it, it, was, it was strange. It was the result of kind of analysis paralysis of like mm. making two, a bunch of prototypes and not really sure of um, which one to go forward with. But I was sharing it with some friends and uh, a couple of people got, um, you know, showed excitement at kind of the, the jokes that were included in this game. Okay. And uh, so you so like fun-based development. I, <laughs> so that made sense. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, person who runs the bird store is uh, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. <laughs> Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's actually inspired by a, a real life story of walking through a mall and glancing into a pet shop and seeing like a big bird cage in the middle of the store and seeing these big scoops hanging on the bird cage and speculating that whenever somebody <laughs> buys the birds, the uh, worker just takes one of the scoops, scoops the birds and flings them at the customer. <laughs> That's still my headcanon. <laughs> I mean... I I I saw like some screenshots and stuff, and I didn't gather that from the screenshots. But it sounds oh. it sounds pretty good, actually, the way you describe it. Yeah, that's the basic premise. Uh, it did. Uh, I did actually release it on uh mobile. Uh, I think it's still available. But yeah, it's just it was released after um, like well after the point where you could just like um soft release and have anybody notice it. Right, so it, right. It just kind of like completely fell through the cracks. And then uh, another question: um, Why uh, the 3DS? Oh, it, that was more of an experiment. Um, okay, just to see, like, to play with the um, dev kit for the first time. Um, was that like an added expense? It was a pretty. Uh, yeah, for sure, uh, more than I would have liked. Um, but it seems uh, like not a lot of devs go that route. Uh, well, 3ds. Uh, oh, well, sure. I mean, I mean, the, the, I released it a little bit too late. Um, like after the Switch was already announced. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the the 3ds was never um a super practical place for any developers, just because the um um game games weren't being uh, particularly well uh. Um, marketed by Nintendo, unless ah. they were uh, like ports of um, existing popular games. Yeah, uh, now, now Nintendo does a much better uh, job. If you if you look at their YouTube account, for example, um, pretty much all of the polished uh, indie games will get like some kind of trailer to go up on Nintendo's official site. Sometimes they'll get featured on the Nintendo Directs, stuff like that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I know it's it's got to be a struggle for them. They've got so many different games on their store now. Oh, like, I know. It's, it's, it's basically I, a phone. <laughs> sometimes I do like wonder because 
uh, I'm probably mm-hmm. one of the few people who will actually like go on my Switch every so often and look at the eShop and just I do it too. Uh, sort sort the games by release date. Let me just look through it. Let me just see everything that came it's out. It's so hard to navigate. It's so slow. Uh, oh, it is slow. I'll give you that. Uh, I don't think it's that bad though, compared to, I mean, compared to pretty much any other platform out there right now, including mobile and Steam. Uh, Switch is one of the easiest platforms to actually bloody sort something by release date. You can just like click one of the top level buttons and maybe see. I haven't found that yet. I'll have to. I'll have to try that one. Yeah, because. By default, you know, of course, it shows you the featured stuff, which is primarily uh, first-party titles. But um, yeah, there's I'm just always like looking a... at sales. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm a, I'm a cheapo when it comes to buying games. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you look under uh, new releases, you can just kind of see it, okay. uh, um, like based on like today, and then going back, like what are the most recent games uh, that have come out? And sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm surprised at so, um you know, I, I keep an eye on that and uh, uh, like Nintendo's yeah. social channels and what games they're promoting. And sometimes they'll promote games officially that don't look all that great. And sometimes uh, a very polished, solid-looking game will come out that you know is is difficult to find unless you're kind of sussing through every single release. Yeah, yeah. It can be hard to tell why certain games fall through the marketing cracks like that. Absolutely, or or why some don't because they appear or they seem like they should sometimes. Right, right? like yeah, I don't I don't know enough about like these developer stories to be like, okay, how how did you get in with Nintendo when these other developers didn't? But yeah, a lot of times it seems like they just found a publisher and then the publisher had the ins with Nintendo and the publisher says, well, now your game's one penny, and then it got to <laughs> shot to the stop. It shot uh, to the top and I, then... I heard nintendo's been doing things to prevent that from happening so much but uh yeah. i'm sure it still happens to an extent and yeah, yeah those i'm sure yeah have you have you talked about that phenomenon on the show before i don't think i have but it's How, definitely a thing <laughs> yeah it's just like especially the first wave man of developers they were they were making a killing by having a game that wasn't even that great and just like it's just another one of those race at the bottom kind of phenomenons where it's like, I, you know, I bought a lot of them just out of pure research. Yeah, I know. Uh, Some of them are yeah, good. Yeah. There was one, yeah. um, what is it called? Uh, man, it's so high up on my playlist. Mana something. Oh, is that Mana Spark? Mana Spark. That's what it is. That's Thank funny. you. Thank you. I, I don't know why I couldn't remember that. I wasn't thinking about bringing it up. But yeah, Mana Spark was like a dollar or something like that. Yeah. And it was, I think it originally released for like 15 bucks or something like that on Steam. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, I've actually played it too. And it's, it's a competent game, but it's... Um, it's got some know, issues. Kind of, it's got that kind of roguelite thing. But it's, compared to other games in its space, it's very unpolished. Yeah. But yeah, as, as a $1 game, it, it probably, um, because it hit that sweet spot of like, when you sell your game for super cheap, you'll get a billion downloads. Um, they probably made a killing off of that. Yeah, and um, I think the publisher probably made most of it. That's just the way those things go, it seems like. Uh, it depends. Uh, it depends on your publisher deal. Right, right. Um, th- that specific publisher, Qubit, I don't know too much about them, but I see that they do that a lot. Mm. Because I, I purchase these games, and I'm like, oh, another Qubit game. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. Um, but 
you self-published Indiana Stone, and you're probably going to self-publish this game, or are you looking for a publisher? Uh, no, I'm definitely getting a publisher for this game. Okay, um, okay. Part of the reason is to compete um, uh, artistically. I'll need to uh, hire quite a few artists, and yeah, ah, I don't have enough okay. uh, personal savings to uh, to cut all that. But um, yeah, at the moment, it's actually my girlfriend who's doing uh, a lot of the early concept art and... Um, uh, is that what I saw? Character designs and such. Uh, no, that what you saw was uh, my friend Demi did oh, a lot okay. of the old uh, 3D modeling and such. Um, yeah, I was still working with her, but she's uh, she's been super busy. Uh, she's actually moving to Seattle right now, oh, like wow. most Phoenix developers. Um, but yeah, I know she's been doing contract work for Bungie uh, lately, which is cool. Uh, she wow, would she yeah. would be a, a very cool person to get on the show if you could. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you'd have to introduce me. Sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome, actually. Um, she is very cool and very talented. And she's an artist, then, I take it? Uh, she's a 3D artist, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, you'll have to tell me more about her later. So, yeah, talked about a lot. Um, was there anything we haven't that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? Um, Did we miss anything? Uh, not, not that I can uh, think of. Um, I know. I know. I've been kind of yammering. No, no, you, you've been on great. my life story. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's a ton that we missed. Um, you know, because I, as far as I, as long as I've known you, I don't really know you that well because we just know from the meetings. You know, and those were only yeah. monthly. So, um, yeah, it's kind of when it comes to like personal development um, history. Like I've always kind of. Uh, wondered if it's worth like having a website that like mentions or celebrates my old games but they're also like really terrible yeah. uh <laughs> like the game like i've been making games since i was in high school which was in the 90s um yeah and you know a lot of them are sort of parody games that don't really hold up today the humor doesn't really hold up uh and that's fine. I've made a lot of good friends uh, through the years through game development. And I think that's um, the most important thing that I've gotten from everything. Is the friends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, that's that's the reason why I started doing this show. is because I wanted to network. And it gives me a great excuse to just be like, hey, can we talk about game dev? Yeah, for sure. Because sometimes it's like... It's hard to to put time aside and talk about stuff like that with for no reason. So it's a little bit easier when you've got something to promote. And yeah. As a dev, like who doesn't have something to promote, right? <laughs> oh yeah, guys, keep an eye out for this game that I'll probably be releasing in two years. <laughs> is is that what we're looking at? Or is that just a uh, sarcastic voice? <laughs> um, that's actually probably not super unrealistic. That's going to be kind of the uh, probably the deal that I'm going to be getting with my publishers. Um, you always want to not spend uh, two to five years on a game, but that doesn't really happen. Right, right. Oh, you know, I have a good question for you because I'm, I'm not super keen on publishers. I've never worked with one. I, I don't know that much about them. Um, now, do you, is your game already up on Steam at all or no? Uh, what game? Uh, Space Ruckus. Have you already oh, started no. with Wishlist? No, no, no. I'm like I said. I I do think that I'm literally years away from a release. So, well, it takes um, years to gather enough wishlists. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So you know, there's the whole like um, 
by the end of this year, I'm hoping to have enough of a vertical slice to uh, pitch to publishers, and, and then it'll, let it'll, them it would take probably <laughs> probably be sometime next year that would have like the Steam page and maybe release a demo during like one of the Steam festivals and yada yada. But I, I have like a vague idea of what I want to do, but nothing set in stone. That's for sure. I I wonder in a publisher's setup like that if who takes care of the Steam store then is that done by the publisher or by the developer then? Um. Uh, or would that yeah, depend like a, on the contract? I mean, yeah, it would. It would depend on the contract. Like uh, I have a friend, um, somebody who I used to work with at Cartoon Network, uh, recently released a, a Steam game called uh, Wild at Heart. Um, mm. I don't know if you've heard of that. It was also on the uh, sounds familiar X, Xbox uh, Game Pass. But um, yeah, they worked with Humble as a publisher, uh, and they did their um, contract right when. Uh, Humble was first starting to work with uh, developers uh, and actually publishing their games. Um, sure, but but yeah, there's there's a lot of details you can work out. Like, uh, will we be supplying our own QA, or will you do QA? Will we be doing our own localization, or will you do localization? So I'm sure it's like, um, and, and you know, the more work that the publisher has to do, the more of a cut they're going to take. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of stress, to be honest. So, <laughs> I want to wish uh, you luck on that. Yeah, thanks. I, I still think it's probably less stressful than a Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter sounds stressful too. That's I know no way around that. I know a couple of people who are just, uh, um, just in really dire situations where they fail to meet their players' expectations, and now they just get like hate mail constantly. Oh geez, yeah, that would suck. That would suck. Yeah, I don't know. I, there's got to be a lot of like thought put into Kickstarters. I think when you when you're about to like, it's do so it, hard though pull because the <laughs> game design is so dynamic. You know, it's like That's you true. can be working. To, it's like just space ruckus. If I I can't even imagine like if I tried to uh, do a Kickstarter back when you last played it. And mm-hmm. I'd be listing all these features and the direction of the game and everything. And then a year or two goes by and I'm like, oh, uh, you know, guys, I d- decided this didn't really work. So now it has this other totally different direction. Yeah. And had to scrap all of the art. And it's going to take another like year or two to make. It's like, can you imagine the backlash from something like that? Yeah. And sometimes it needs another crowdfund, too, because the money got it, it money evaporated doing the wrong thing. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like, sometimes I feel like these people, they just, they, they come up with an idea and say they have a a crowd. That's usually the way it works. They already have a crowd that, that already supported them on another game. So that's, then they're like, Oh, well, I've got this great idea. And then they, they're like, tell, they want to tell people. So they tell people and it starts building up steam and and then they realize that it it doesn't work as a game design. It's just a, a, a cool sounding idea. Yeah. Another thing that I've heard is, um, people who like their game is actually 90% done. And they'll uh, do the Kickstarter. Just um, actually, I'm not sure if this is viable now, but this was definitely viable mm-hmm. back when Kickstarter was um, newer. Because uh, you used to get a lot of press for just like an interesting looking game on Kickstarter, just for being there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if if your game like looked like it was done, it like it was finished already, you would get a lot of press on Kickstarter. So you would get a ton of backers. Uh, that both gives you like early money to like finish the project up and also like builds your initial uh kind of um crowd to spread the word yeah absolutely 
but yeah, that's that's outdated information. I have no idea what uh, crowdfunding, best crowdfunding uh, strategies are out there these days. Uh, there's a lot of them, and you know, there, there's some great resources and stuff. I think I think the main thing is just to to have a crowd, right? If you yeah. don't have a crowd, then crowdfunding is kind of out of the question. Yeah, and that's one great thing about the Steam, um, uh, the festival things. That's that's a great way to like bring people to your own Discord or whatever. I'm so nervous about this, the festivals, but you know, I, I think I'm just going to wait till my game is like extremely polished and then cut a demo and then do that. You know? Just, yeah. How far away do you think you are from that? It's it's hard to say. It's it's really hard to say that the it's the I just updated last night or the other night, and it's it's like the most polished it's ever been. But I'm already starting to look at things saying like, oh, I could fix this. I could fix that. And then I'm going to have to make a new trailer again because I just made a new trailer. You know, it's it's, there's a lot of work, but I, you know, it it really depends, man. It depends on so much stuff. Right. So I I don't even want to (laughs) say Yeah, it's it's so hard to say, but I'm not working with a publisher. So I don't really have to say. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to make any promises. But within within three years, I want the Steam release to be completely <laughs> awesome. You know what I mean? Just like done. But you know, I, I, I would the next love to have... Duke Nukem Forever. <laughs> the problem don't, is the longer you take, the longer you take, the um, higher the expected quality for indie games is going to be. It's true. It's it's already happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, but luckily, I'm I'm on top of a lot of. Not a lot, not all the curve, but some of the curve, right? Because I mean, I didn't, I didn't start back in 2010, but I did start in uh, 2013. So, ooh, dang, you you have been working on it for almost as long as Duke Nukem Forever. No, no, not this game, not this game. (laughs) This game was uh, late 2017. I started, Um, but that's when I started using Unity, is what I'm trying to say. I see. Yeah, so it's not like I'm I'm completely new to this stuff. Um, and there are a lot of people that are completely new to it. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. They're just, they're, it's going to take them five years <laughs> before they know what they're doing, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. And then once they know what they're doing, then, then all, all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> no, we'll have to no. see. Honestly, I, I think there's going to be like a, a like disappearance trend, you know, like where, where it's like indie games were really cool. And now this other thing's really cool, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that might actually be a good thing for the people who are like diehards. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it's hard to say. <laughs> who would you say is the um, target market for uh, most indie games? It's 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 changing uh, right now. Honestly, I'm starting to say that game devs are almost becoming the target market for indie games because I buy indie games, you buy indie games. I yeah. mean. Every every game dev I know buys indie games. Yeah, um, and there's so many game devs that it's like it's almost like a sneak a snake eating its own tail kind of market. It, it, there is a lot of that going on. Every so often, you see a game that kind of breaks through uh, to mass media, like Hades or Cuphead. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a little different. Where all of a sudden we're talking about uh, multiple millions of dollars in your pockets. Um, which honestly, I don't. I don't really see that as being the the indie dream so much. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to to have that type of money, but what are you going to do with it? Probably, probably some of these people probably won't even make games after after that. You know? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, you see the, um, or or sometimes you'll see um, 
indie developers make a lot of money and that they'll roll that into um, making the game they really wanted to make. Like with yeah. um, uh, Risk of Rain, to Risk of Rain 2, you can, you can you know, just see the huge uh, budget increase. Um, I, I don't know that one myself, but I've heard about it. Yeah, but uh, on the counterexample, you, you have something like, uh, you know, Stardew Valley, which yeah. the developer probably doesn't have a good reason to uh, make another game after that. But hey, who knows? I can't speak for him. And then developers like myself, I don't know about you, but I would love to get like a studio off the ground. I mean, even a small one where I just contract people out or, or have a couple people that are constant, but get yeah. a, a, something that keeps producing. I think I just want to be sustainable. I think that ultimately my dream is uh, I've always loved making games in a small team. And yeah. uh, right now, my uh, my girlfriend and I—I haven't—I haven't talked too much about her, but she has she has a very cool, like, unique art style. That's because um, uh, she's she's um, primarily a uh, illustrator um, wow. for like uh, right now a medical company. Um, very cool. And uh, it, it brings like a very fresh, clean-looking style to games. Um, so we're we're experimenting with a few different um, directions. Uh, for space ruckus, it would it would be a very unique approach to a space shooter. Yeah, no, um, I think that would work. And uh, yeah, we have we have a few other projects uh, planned after this, as I think pretty much any developer does. Yeah. Um, so the you know <laughs> what, what would be ideal is we make enough money from this game where she can quit uh, her job, I can stop doing contract work, and then we can just kind of like you know, travel the world, you know, live in different countries each month and just kind of work away at, like, the new projects. And that would be fun. That would be fun. And, you know, if I if I had a, a partner, I'd probably be more uh, aligned with that. But right now, my virtues are just, like, my game. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of sad. But it's not, and it's, and it, it, you know, because it's something I've been working on and, you know, it's coming along. But, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, things change, but it's always possible to turn some heads with, uh, um, with a game that you release. But at the same time, uh, it's not good to like put all your eggs in one basket. Like, that is I, very true. I can't even count the number of times that I've failed before Indiana Stone. Um, yeah. you know, dozens, dozens of times that I tried to make a living off of it, and it uh, backfired. And like that's great advice. I I haven't personally tried to make a commercial release before, but I've definitely tried to make games over and over again and failed over and over again. And I, I feel like I've I've got a lot of the kinks out that way. Of course, you know, there's always going to be roadblocks and hurdles. Um, Back in I, like 2001, yeah. I uh, I finished this game that took me years to make. It was this like long form like parody of the. Um, entire mario franchise where they're just drunk the whole time and it's called a uh, super smashed brothers <laughs> um and i got like uh i got it printed on cds and in all these jewel cases with official art and everything wow and i sold like 10 copies <laughs> jeez were you selling it online or yeah at, okay you didn't try it at game shops or anything like that. Oh well, actually, I worked at a uh, at a game shop there, and I did like sneak them in a bit. But yeah, it didn't it didn't really stick. <laughs> uh, maybe you should on a shareware episodic version. 
Mm, yeah. Nah, maybe not. I yeah, know. I don't even remember what was the <laughs> popular like that because that that was kind of before there even were like indie games. There's that there's that weird period of time between like ninety four and like two thousand and five when like everything like had to be by a by a big company. Everything had to be in three D. There were no independent tools that you could use to make games in three D. Yeah, I mean, uh, like Duke Nukem and and Doom, I think were like you know that was before then. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So a little bit after that, like for um, you know, by then I'm talking about like Doom three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was. It, it was like you were basically using. You were stuck with like the Unreal Engine, and um, that was expensive. It was very expensive, and then you had to get like a PlayStation Two development kit, which would cost like three hundred grand. Yeah, no, I was I was very afraid of game development at that age. Yeah, it just seemed like impenetrable, um, and yeah, it was really Braid that like brought back like, oh, you can actually make money make making two D games using like uh, tools that like aren't ridiculously expensive. Um, yeah, it was it was Braid and Cave Story that like really uh, like was a spark for the indie dev scene. Yeah, no, I I'm, I mean obviously that everyone remembers that, especially you know Braid being in the the uh, the movie right indie game the movie. Everyone remembers oh, yeah, that. Sure. That was like uh-huh. ground groundbreaking, earth shattering. <laughs> yeah, we're indie still game, feeling the, movie, the that that definitely caused more harm than good. <laughs> <laughs> we're still feeling the impact from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's it did cause a lot of harm, but yeah, it was it was also like it, it really um, inspired a lot of people, you know. So I mean, you could look at that both ways. <laughs> uh, the, the Meat Boy uh, developers constantly get mail from people who've seen the movie, and they're like, "Oh, oh, we want to live the, the indie dream too. What's what's the first thing that you would?" You would but... recommend for me a scrappy young lad trying to get by making indie games. And it's like, yeah, I've never never heard this before. I, I've heard over time they got kind of jaded and are just like, yeah, I got got one word of advice. Don't. <laughs> it's, you know, just start with Flash like I did. No, <laughs> get, get a popular game on Newgrounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah, different world. The, the path of success changes every year, I swear. It does. It does. As yeah. soon as uh, somebody has their GDC talk uh, prepared on like how they got success, it's already outdated information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still it's still valid to a degree to see how someone else found success, but you have to you have to take it with that grain of salt because success. First of all, success is different for everyone. Second of all, uh, <laughs> well, there's a whole story that he's not telling. And then third, things change. Yeah. And who knows? For me, maybe you'll talk to me a year from now, and I'll be retired from game development, and I've moved to a small countryside, and I've decided to raise goats for a living. You know, I didn't bring up goats, <laughs> but I wanted to. <laughs> you have a goat for a logo, right? Oh, that's true. It's a low goat. A low goat. <laughs> What's the deal with the goats? Well, I had a pet goat. Uh, Did you? Up. Yeah. Wow. And you know, I like to say that uh, my goat taught me everything that I know about game design. They're just, <laughs> just very playful creatures by nature. They are. They are. Now, you mentioned that you moved to Phoenix. I, I'm not sure where you lived before. Was it like a, a goat bearing place? <laughs> a goat 
goat bearing. Uh, goat bearing city. A very very small town in uh, western Massachusetts. But yeah, they, it was. They it had was many goats. Uh, I mean, we had a pet goat. There were some places that had goats. It, it was it was fairly unusual for us to have a pet goat. You know, it's like none of our neighbors did. Okay, um, so you were the well, only kid on the block with a goat. For whatever reason, um, well, we didn't really have blocks, but yeah, we were the. I was the Country only kid on the like <laughs> weird stretch of road. <laughs> um, that well, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it our, makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> I, for whatever reason, my mom was really into farm animals. We uh, we had chickens and uh, you know some other crap. We had rabbits for a while, just a bunch of them. I had. A single pet rabbit. Yeah, once you have two rabbits, expect to have hundreds. Of them. <laughs> I had I had two mice that ended that way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up in a super small town like that, or like uh, with just like these crazy like hilly roads, where like you couldn't even like ride your bike because it would just be it would just be too dangerous. Um, there, there was no, uh, there were no bike paths. There was no sidewalk. Um, wow. Yeah, we we lived on a um, on a street that had like a speed limit of like sixty and like a lot of uh, blind corners and such. So mm-hmm. as a kid, it's like, oh, either I'll go for a short walk, or I'll hang out in my backyard, or I'll just play and make video games all day. So you actually got started way back then, huh? Yeah, yeah, my mom actually taught me how to program on the Commodore 64. Well, that's very kind of her. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, does she have a computer science background? Um, back when she was uh, in college, uh, she uh, took some COBOL. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, yeah, not much else. She's actually a doll, oh. a doll artisan. A doll artist? Yeah, if you look up Lucy Winsky, uh, L-U-C-I-E, you'll find uh, my mom's dolls. They're they're very big in Europe. I'll have to check them out. That's really cool. Um, so, so she she hand paints them. From yeah, that's very cool. Um, and you you've uh, I mean, game design's your thing. But did you have any art background at all growing up either? Um, not really. I've always been pretty. Um, terrible artistically. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just um, I I I don't really imagine things like super uh crisply. I can I can imagine abstract ideas like mechanics and such, but when it comes to like visual representations, I just have a really hard time like picturing things or expressing myself or anything like that. So of all the roles in game development, do you think design's your favorite? Uh, for sure. And I would say that everything else that I do um, is for the sake of design. Like, I only know how to program so that I can bring designs to life. I'm in that same boat. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty common for a game developer. Uh, yeah, especially Unity developers. I think, it's, I think it's a little less common with the Unreal developers. But, oh, really? Well, it's, it's, well, I guess the difference is if you're doing C++ or if you're doing the blueprints, right? Yeah, um, though uh, Unity has its whatever uh, the playmaker, playmaker, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess you're right. So you can make a whole game with that, from what I hear. I think some notable games have been made with that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Very, I can't or, think of any. 
Great was it? narrative uh, uh, heavy games. I, 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 there was one, but I can't think of what it was. And it was, it was made with Playmaker, but it's not coming to me. The first tree is the game I was thinking of. Ooh, absolutely. Back when I used to use click and play, uh, I had a friend who was like, oh, if you're, not, if you're not making a game in straight C, never even mind a C++ C++ plus crap. If you right. straight straight C or it doesn't count. And it's like, Assembly. what an what <laughs> arbitrary line in the sand. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you know, it depends on what you're doing, really, and, and where your goals are. Like, if you're trying to write something for, like, a machine, then yeah, maybe you should use machine language at some point. Yeah. But if you're trying to make a video game like that, we have these high-level languages for that. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't, you, you don't even notice the, like... Um uh the overhead anymore it's like some of these so many of these tools are so good at like uh compiling themselves in such a way to be as efficient as possible so oh yeah it's it's to the point where you need to buy a, a crappy computer just to see if it, it'll run your game <laughs> right? uh, yeah yeah <laughs> there's, there's the good no ones will run it no problem <laughs> there's no reason not to use the best tools available uh yeah i uh it it maybe 10 years ago you could have still made a case for writing your own engine for something i don't think that's true anymore yeah yeah i i mean tons of people do it but i think it's a, a like do a they you don't really fulfillment thing. you don't well, maybe really not hear about it anymore so what i'm thinking of more is is games that came out around like what 2014 2015 where where they started working on like xna and stuff so it's not really like they made their own engine because they're using xna but it's kind yeah. of their own engine because it's not unity or unreal right right yeah sure like um What's one uh, Axiom Verge, right? Oh, okay. XNA, sure. and it came out during that period where, like, well, XNA is deprecated, but they probably started it before it de- got deprecated. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, XNA—that was a whole nother beast. You know, I remember trying to learn that, and just being really frustrated, just just trying to code a camera. <laughs> I yeah. just drag and drop it. <laughs> I used to really enjoy playing the uh, on the 360, the Xbox indie games. I think those had to be. Uh, made an XNA to like yeah. uh, compile to the uh, Xbox. Yeah, that's um, what it was for. But um, yeah, those um, those were fun to play. I used to host a, a bad indie game night where we would go through a bunch of random games. That actually sounds like fun. <laughs> um, yeah, we were thinking cool. we we've had a lot of fun times, and we're like, oh man, maybe we should be like streaming this on twitch or something but then it's like i don't know it feels it feels kind of mean to be like hey it's it's bad indie game we're just making fun of all these subpar games that was somebody's uh passion yeah i mean there was that that shovelware era where it was almost like too easy yeah that's true and now it's almost we did we did find like a handful of really good games that way yeah Uh, and nowadays it's almost the opposite where it's like there's creators out there who are are putting their heart on their sleeves, and if you if you like, you know, just jokingly make fun of them, that might actually hurt their feelings and cause sure. detriment. So it's like hey, you gotta think about what you're doing. But yeah, also if you're a game dev and you, you no one can talk about your game, like maybe you shouldn't show people. <laughs> I mean, there's there's this there's this phenomenon where like you this is a real thing um, where you can release a game and a hundred people say something very positive about your game and then one person says something super negative about your game it's it's that one negative thing that's going to stick with you oh yeah absolutely 
And as oh. as designers, we gotta just like roll with the punches and know what yeah. to listen to. Yeah, it's just re- releasing your own um, like project out there. It's just it's just such a personal thing when it's an indie project. Yep, yep. Just kind of have to distance yourself the right amount, and uh, you know. Oh, I guess the solution is just to not uh, not read anything about game. <laughs> that's one possible solution it might might bite you in the ass i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know it's hard i i know very talented people who have uh made awesome games and refuse to release them for that reason just scared of uh um you know putting themselves out there yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta think about the goal of the game, and if the the goal is if, you know purpose has been served, and you hadn't released it, then maybe you don't need to release it, you know. Um, maybe it's pretty pretty artful way of making games. It's like painting in a closet and and uh, yeah, not showing anyone. Sure, it sure. could be done. But yeah, but and I do. You're not gonna I make a lot of money that. that. I do think that is, I don't know, do, do people, like, you hear about people doing that with, like, art and music and everything, but that's because those are, like, kind of singular um, competencies that, like, are a form of expression. Um, if you take something a little bit more complicated, like movie making or something, mm-hmm. you might do hobby, like, little movie making or little shorts, like, just for your family, but I've never heard of anybody doing that just for themselves. Like, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm sure it happens. Have- where yeah, you don't feel just confident. gonna make a little indie movie just for myself and nobody well, else can see it. <laughs> it probably doesn't start that way, but I'm sure I'm sure a lot of things end that way. Hmm, maybe. Well, I mean, if you're not very good at it and then you realize <laughs> it halfway through, oh, you're probably sure. not gonna show a bunch of people. Sure. That happens with indie games. True. Um, but I, I'm on the I'm in the boat where you should show people right away. And if they if they tear it apart, that's that's great. They're talking about your game. Yeah, that means they've put the effort to 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 put cognitive thoughts together and say this game sucks, and for these reasons, hopefully, and then you can uh-huh. make it better, right? I mean, it depends, right? If you have, ah, I want to make a game, and you put that on your bucket list, then it doesn't really matter what kind of feedback that you get. But if it's like, ah, I want to make some kind of money from a game, then it's good to have friends who will have a little bit of a critical eye. Absolutely, or you could just want to make people happy, you know, and then you don't have to worry about the money, but you better have a side job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually made a um, games as uh, gifts. As I made, a, I made a game as a wedding gift once. That is really awesome. You play as little Cupid with my face on it, and you have to like uh, shoot love arrows between like different people in a crowd until you get to the back area where you can see the the married couple and you can hook them up. <laughs> that's hilarious. That, that's like clippable right there. I'm surprised that you don't uh, do like. I don't. That's like that's like marketable somehow. <laughs> that's really hilarious. Like making a game for an event, <laughs> but for for the two people that the event's for, that's even better, right? Yeah, that's that's a really cool idea. I mean, obviously, you'd have to keep the scope way down and all that, but I mean, there might even be money in that if you were to, if you were to figure out a way to like market it, but. Yeah, I don't know. Another beast. <laughs> yeah, then you'd have the whole problem of like, oh, I want you to do it, but I want you to do it for me for five dollars because we're already spending <laughs> so much money on this wedding. So, oh god, <laughs> it's like being a, D- a wedding DJ. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. not. Super Except all when you think about it. Yeah, it's it's harder than just bringing your iPod. Uh, 
True. All right. Well, we've covered a ton here, and I've kept you on longer than than usual. But um, you know, I want to thank you so much. Um, and uh, you know, Tim Winsky, um, is it was uh, twinsky.com, right? Twinskygames.com. Twinskygames.com. I okay. updated it at some point within the last two years, but there will be more coming soon. <laughs> Very I wish cool. That, uh, I could tell you like a mailing list to join or a Discord server to join or anything, but I guess you'll just have to have me on later. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to have you back. Is there anywhere else you can point people, or is that is that it? Um. Well, I guess I do technically have a Steam, uh, like company thing since I'm listed as one of the developers for the Cartoon Network game. But yeah, I'll just tell people probably the most accessible thing, <laughs> enough, the most <laughs> yeah, accessible yeah. thing that I have right now that people can play. You need a uh, VR headset for. Um, but if you do, make sure you check out uh, Cartoon Network Journeys, um, in particular the Jester game. Cool, cool. Uh, Jest to impress, was it? Yep. Very cool. All right. Well, th- well, thank you again, man. This has been so much fun. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. All right. Well, take care. You too. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. If you have a VR HMD, then go check out Cartoon Network's Journeys VR. It's completely free on Steam. And Tim designed the Just to Impress module, which is great if you don't have VR or if it doesn't agree with you for whatever reason. Go check out some YouTube videos of this game. It's hilarious. Okay, everyone, take care and enjoy the rest of your day.